I have a candy bowl in my office, you know, from when the kids came by, and I was looking forward to the leftovers, but my bowl, I don't <laughs> know who out. is getting cleaned out. I don't know if it's Well, Scott. we did come I'm, back in the office after our staff Halloween thing, and my kids were like, hey, can I grab some more? And even like, the next day, I just watched go it go ahead. down, down, down. Scott likes candy. It was probably Scott. <laughs> Nate Miller, Scott Bixby, <laughs> stop eating my candy. Our goal on this podcast is to know Jesus better and by the power of his spirit, do better. So together we can be a little better. Well, welcome to a little better podcast. And we are in week, I think we've crossed the halfway point. Are we, no, we're week four, yes. right? You Almost are halfway. Week four of eight weeks on Acts of the Church. And uh, Jason, thanks for stepping up, yeah. sharing uh, with us. And uh, why don't you give us your sermon in 60 or less. Yeah, so we really asked the question, like, what should the church actually be like? You know, we all have different church experiences, either from very little church experience to all kinds of different denominations and practices and styles of church. And so if we were going to try to figure out what should churches look like, we should take a look at the first church. And so we dove into the end of Acts chapter 2, where Luke, the author of Acts, gives a description of the first church, and he really talks about four different uh core practices of the first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Um, The big idea is that the church uh, is not a place to attend, but it's a compelling community. Excellent. I think you did that in 45 seconds. Well done. Nice. So um, I do want to be aware of the calendar you know, as we come you know, to this podcast. And uh, this, this episode is dropping on Halloween. So, and as a matter of fact, uh, Jenny Miller was supposed to be here. Jenny is sick. We're praying for her. Hope she gets better soon. But you and Jenny Miller. Too much Halloween candy. Too much Halloween candy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of Halloween candy (laughs) in the office these days. It's going fast, though. Um, But uh, you and Jenny are both pastor's kids. So I wanted to ask her and you, growing up as a pastor kid, what did Halloween look like? Yeah, so I was a, a pastor's kid who celebrated Halloween mm-hmm. sometimes, but sometimes we didn't. So it was interesting. Our My best friend, he lived next door. His family went to our church. They didn't celebrate Halloween. So mm-hmm. their lights were off. You know, they probably For went Christian out to eat. Reasons? You know, was it Christian, Christian reasons? Christian reasons. Okay. Um, and you're here, their pastor, right next door. Like mm-hmm. his kids are all wearing their Bugs Bunny masks and Ninja Turtles masks, and we were trick or treating. Mm-hmm. But there was a season, I remember, in our church where. We had watched some things about like witches and Wicca and like sacrifices and and my dad was like, all right, no more Halloween. So for like two years, we're like, this is, you know, this isn't a Christian thing. Like people are dying on this this, uh, holiday or this Mm -hmm. evil holiday. So we didn't practice it. And then I think we went back to celebrating Halloween. But at church, we would have like a harvest festival we wouldn't have a Halloween <laughs> celebration. Well, I think my wife doesn't celebrate Halloween because she's cheap. She just doesn't like <laughs> buying the like, candy gets more expensive every year. Turn off the lights and watch TV in the basement. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I know we're kind of um, chatting casually here, but it is an interesting question because I do know, you know, some people would take that, you know, very seriously, like as Christians, that that is something that should not be touched in any way because of its like occult mm-hmm. or uh, spiritual, you yeah. know, significance. And then there's, you know, how have you walked through that? You know, I mean, you said, you said there was a time you said no more Halloween, yeah. but um, f- full disclosure, should I say it? I mean, our 
staff kids all came around to the offices trick or treating a few yeah. you know a few days ago, yours included. Yes. So, um, how do you think about? you know, yes or no, or is it, is it a gray? Is it a black? Is it a white? Yeah, I I would put this as a Christian liberty issue where Mm -hmm. good people have differing views about Mm -hmm. this. Um, Yeah, I feel like it matters how you practice it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to cultural things, like we can reject or we can kind of try to redeem uh, different holidays. And so, I, you know, I personally, I'm, I'm not really into getting too spooky or all that, the yeah. the witch or anything that's moving like demonic or gory or anything like that, I'm not a big fan of, but getting dressed up, having co- uh, costumes on, eating candy are great. And I feel like this is one of the best times of the year to connect with my neighbors, either walking the streets with them or just meeting some of them for the first time. So yeah. I love that. I think that's, that's, that's the big question for me too, is there's, you know, people in the church and outside the church, and for me to reach my neighbors. In fact, we live in the city, lots of kids and families come by, and around the corner there's always a big party that really is just for, there's apple cider is pressed, and there's chicken soup and candy, and it's a place for people to, mm-hmm. you know, to come and, and meet neighbors and family. Um, so, to me, there's an opportunity I don't want to pass up, mm-hmm. but I'm with you entirely in terms of purging the occultic, you know, the demonic, you know, that sort of, you know, sort of sort of thing out of it. But uh, I did have a pastor once, one of my, you know, a pastor, he was for several years, I was very close to him and his wife and his wife, pastor's wife, Halloween was by far her favorite holiday. <laughs> she just decorated everything. She baked everything with Halloween themes and dressed up and she... She loved Halloween. Had no trouble yeah. as a pastor's wife <laughs> having Halloween as a favorite. And I know our producer is very fond of We can leave a Halloween little too. note in the uh, app notes, too, about some resources. If you want to think about this a little more deeply, like, yeah, this is bad I know, or good. Yeah, I know we're joking, but I do think there are serious questions about how we, living pi-squared lives, I shouldn't say pi-squared, pray, invest, invite, you know, in terms of, you know, reaching people, how do we redeem you know, certain opportunities for the gospel. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses um, is, you know, they're not, I would say they're not Christian. They do not believe in the deity of Christ, mm-hmm. but they've had a, they've had a longstanding opposition to Christmas mm-hmm. because of its pagan associations. Mm-hmm. They say Christ wasn't born in December. He was most likely born in spring. All these things come from mm-hmm. pagan practices. And yet I think that we as Christians, you know, redeeming that Pagan practice turning into Christmas is a wonderful thing. Yeah. I think there are ways to redeem Halloween. You know, people took bar songs and turned them into hymns, right? Yeah. You know, use that music that the people loved that and identified wild music with. Now. That wild music, <laughs> and then you know, gave a gospel message, mm-hmm. you know, to it. So I do. It's it's interesting. Christian liberty, definitely. And be wise about it, and respect brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. you know, who have different conscience yeah. on it. Okay, all right. There you go. Everything you wanted to know about Halloween. <laughs> well, let's move back to the message, and we're talking about um, the early church, and I love the way you launched the message just describing all the different ways churches can look and feel, mm-hmm. right? So it is. It's so crazy. And you only um, looked at kind of local American experiences, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we could look true. throughout yeah. history. We could look across the world and see such different expressions of Christianity. So I guess the question is, what makes the church the church? 
if there's so many different ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, I think we can associate a certain style or format of church as like either um, this makes it a church or this makes it the right kind of a church. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the things that we bring to that are extra biblical. You know, they're uh, not necessarily right or wrong things, but they're things that Scripture doesn't give us Mm -hmm. a command that we have to do it. I, I, I did point out in the message there's a difference between Acts and parts of the Bible being prescriptive and descriptive. So, I mean, Acts really describes what the first church did, but it doesn't tell us how we have to do church. And so there's a lot of freedom for what different things can look like in mm-hmm. the church. Yeah. Um, so Northridge, I mean, I've we've both known people who've walked into Northridge and they've experienced something very different. You know, mm-hmm. you know they may have no church experience. A lot of people have church experience, but it's very very different. So why does Northridge Church look and feel the way it does? Is that just haphazard? Is that intentional? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of it is unintentional. It's just cultural. It's just Mm -hmm. things that we have kind of way we do church because we're in the 21st century. Um, But I think there's also things that we are very intentional about our approach for everything, you know, from the the style uh, of music that we sing to the seats to the technology we use to having, you know, videos on screen, using an app to take Mm -hmm. notes, even the translation of the Bible trying to be in the language that people speak today. Mm -hmm. Um, These are just a variety of of things, yeah, I I guess I would say. Yeah, so... I do think, and I know Scott Bixby, you know, has done a lot over the years with kind of shaping the experience. And mm-hmm. you would always try to visualize someone's journey really mm-hmm. from outside the church, you know, you know, through a website, for instance, or to the parking lot and walking across the parking mm-hmm. lot and, you know, into the building. And I remember stories like, um, heard a story that, you know, someone at one point drove to our church parking lot, saw people in jackets and ties. This is years, yeah. many, many years ago. You know, saw people in jackets and ties, turned around and left the parking mm-hmm. lot because they, already, they knew when they saw those mm-hmm. people that that's not yeah. what they were comfortable with. Came back later and it was entirely different. You yeah. know, the way people, people dress. And that has an impact. Yeah. It has an impact on the effectiveness, the attractiveness, mm-hmm. you know, you know, to to the outside, but also I think also just and again just music that connects with people's hearts. Well, mm-hmm. it's probably going to have yeah. some connection to the music yeah. they hear and love elsewhere. Yeah. So all those all those all those choices, but we do think you know about those things. We might not always make the yeah. right decisions, but yeah, I think one of the things that's made Christianity um, successful is that it is not tied to a culture um, or a style, but that it is transcultural, you know, mm-hmm. and that there was not a prescription in scripture about all the different ways of practicing church. I mean, there's definitely things that are taught in the New Testament about um, some aspects of like what baptism is and why we should get baptized. Um, certain teachings that are specific, but there's a lot of freedom in the form of what church can look like. Yeah, and you think about the fact that the church was uh, birthed out of a very specific look and feel, right? There was a mm-hmm. Jewish church. Yep. There was all those Jewish practices, you know, circumcision, sacrifices. Really a Jewish church. All kinds the, of things. It was a Jewish... temple. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I know we were talking about that before, but the fact that 
went about 300 years without buildings. Yeah. You know, we already know the church isn't a building, but you know, buildings are useful. But 300 years without a building, and, and those original early believers were going to the temple yeah. courts and meeting in, in homes. Why in the world would they go to the temple courts? Yeah, one of the things as I was studying this message, I think we can easily see like, okay, the Holy Spirit comes people hear about Jesus, and then the church is started, and that these people would be thinking, okay, now I'm no longer a Jew, now I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Actually, this, this morning I was reading, and I think it was Acts 10 or 11, they were in Antioch, and that's the first place that they were called Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little bit before that, they start being called like followers of the way. But originally, uh, uh, early on, they didn't see themselves as, here's this separate religion, they saw, hey, we are Jews awaiting the Messiah, and the Messiah has come. And so when he came, then they're like, well, we're going to still practice our Jewish faith, and part of our Jewish faith is going to the synagogue and also going to the temple. I mean, we see in Acts chapter 3 that Peter and John go for like the prayer services in the temple. Mm-hmm. And so they would have been meeting, uh, continuing to practice their Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. One, one thing that I was thinking um, that I found unique. So we, we talked about it on the sermon, how they met both in the public, so they met in the temple, and they met in homes. So they didn't have church buildings, but the largest place that they could gather together, especially if they were like 3,000 or 5,000 people pretty mm-hmm. soon, that they could all fit was the large temple, and there was like different uh, courts within the temple. So one unique aspect of uh, them going to meet together publicly uh, was that they were going to go to a place where they could, one, practice their Jewish faith, but also share about Jesus with other people. So the public service was very outward focused about sharing the gospel with people. And even mm-hmm. when you read about where they met in the temple, mm-hmm. there's like four different courts within the temple. One of them is called Solomon's Colonnade. And so that's a part of the temple that had like a covering. So if it was raining, they, knew they could meet under there. But it also is where the Gentiles met. And so mm-hmm. as they're trying to share the gospel with everyone, they went mm-hmm. to the place in the temple where they could share the gospel with the most people. Yeah, and I think like what I was originally thinking there too about you know that very Jewish identity. I mean, they did have that outward focus, including Gentiles, right from the time of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. All those languages, all mm-hmm. the cultures were invited, included, mm-hmm. you know, in the church. But they made decisions. I think we're going to see. I'm not sure if we're going to. Do you remember? If we're going to see this later with the Jerusalem Council. Yeah, we're Acts not going to get to that in this series. We're not going to get to that. No. Okay. So there is there are points in the Book of Acts where decisions are made to not insist that Christians become Jews, yeah. right? Like if I'm born a Jew and I'm yeah. practicing a Jew, this is a way for me to worship God. There's benefit to it, but I'm not going to force that, yeah. you know, on other people. So it really created, yeah. you know, the ethos and the environment for the church mm-hmm. to say, we are not tied. Yeah. We could have, you know, tied it to a specific yeah. culture, say, you know, you got to wear the, um, the, the prayer, uh, what's it? The prayer shawl. Yeah, no, they had like the little tassels. The tassels, yeah. the prayer tassels, you know, phylacteries, mm-hmm. um, circumcision, all kinds of things yeah. we could have been insisted on, but the the early Christians, though yeah. they were Jews, didn't make other people yeah, Jews. Yeah, one of the distinctions about what made the church the church is that what, it wasn't just the Jews, but it was mm-hmm. 
to all people. And we, mm -hmm. yeah, we see this tension all throughout the book of Acts. Our group is reading through the book of Acts as we go throughout mm -hmm. this series, you know, and when you get to Acts chapter six, which we're going to be talking about next week, we already see there's this division between um, all the Gentile like widows are being neglected. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, they're focused on the Jews and then Paul's converted and there's this big debate about who they should go to. Peter goes on to get this vision from God and realize, okay, I can go to the Gentiles. And actually what I was just reading this morning, uh, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells and lives inside of Gentiles. And they're like, oh, wow, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of Gentiles, then I guess we all can be one together. And so one of the greatest uh, movements to bring ethnicities and races together is sharing the Holy Spirit together in Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it is amazing then and we know that Christianity, I mean, mm -hmm. around the world, yeah. you know, has been kind of accepted yeah. and incarnated yeah. in almost every every culture. And the beauty of it is that each of them, you know, has something to yeah. tell, share, share with the rest of the world, yeah. uh, the way Christianity yeah. looks. You asked earlier, like, what is the church, you mm -hmm. know? And so there's, there's different definitions of this. I think one of the clearest aspects of the church, though, is that it's the people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you place your faith in Jesus, we read that the Spirit comes to live inside of us. And so at the essence of the church isn't a building or a meeting together. Mm -hmm. It's the... God's presence living inside of us. Right, inside people. Not a yeah. building, not a temple, yeah. not, not a specific place, but God dwells in us. Yeah, and then there's even different practices. I've heard, I remember when I was in seminary, we were giving like definitions of what the church is. And they'd always say, like, the church like meets together and they do all these things and they have like two offices, like elders and deacons and they preach the word and they do baptism and um, the Lord's Supper and that's the church. And I'm like, well, those are all things that the church does, but those don't make the church the church. The church is the people who have been redeemed by God and have the Holy Spirit. Right. There are things that we are to do to be faithful to what God has called us to, but those don't make us the church. Yeah, yeah, and I think that all of us, it just, it, it sneaks in, we don't realize that where we have in our minds, well, it's not really church unless it has blank, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what we know and that's what we've, mm -hmm. you know, identified with. But this reminder of really, it's the functions, the intents, mm -hmm. you know, that are supposed to be happening. So, um I don't know. Did you want to comment at all on like how we're doing, or what are the tensions that you see? You know, ways we succeed or come up short in those four areas. You know, of yeah. Um, so we looked at the four core practices of the first church, where the apostles' teaching, which really devoted to the scriptures, the teachings about Jesus that the apostles heard. Mm -hmm. um, there was fellowship, which both included sharing possessions and just being together. Um, mm -hmm. There is. Breaking the bread, so eating together, celebrating mm -hmm. communion together, and then prayer. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there's a lot of work, you know, our church and we individually can all do. Uh, I think, especially when it comes to prayer, like how devoted are we really to praying with each other? Um, it's easy, I think, especially in community groups, to have 90% of your time be. Um, just a, a conversation. You're like, oh, stink. We got. We're running. We're running out of time for prayer. Like, let's just tack. Okay, can one person pray? Anybody have a prayer request? And so you kind of tack it on in the end, yeah. or even in like, say you said, hey, we, we we're going to give a full 45 minutes for the guys to break up and pray together, or the women to break up and pray together. And in that time, there's a lot of sharing of like, here's the 
hard things going on in my life, the, the things I'm wrestling with, which is beautiful. That's part of sharing community. But sometimes we share all these prayer requests and then we have like one or two people pray and we pray for a few seconds. And, mm-hmm. and, and I feel like, man, I, I feel like we could spend more time in prayer. And there's a tension too, because maybe for you, you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I've never prayed out loud. I'm, I'm nervous about doing that. Or you've, you haven't grown up in the church and so praying can be an uncomfortable thing. And we want to create group environments that are like, hey, if you've never prayed before, like just start with a sentence. Start with just reading this, this verse back to God or just saying one word. And, and, and you know, that's great. But I think sometimes we can avoid longer times in prayer together. And I think I was telling you this, this illustration, like, man, if my daughter was in the ER, you know, and I'm like, don't know if she's going to make it. I'm going to be like begging God in prayer, just continually praying. And shouldn't that be a little bit about what our, what our church is like, that we are, when we meet together, not just talking to each other about what we need prayer for, but begging God for help. Yeah, and I think what you raised with that was in my mind is what are the needs that move us to prayer? Mm-hmm. So it's like obviously if our children are suffering, just can't think of our hearts being ripped out more, mm-hmm. us being more motivated to prayer. But then trying to think of, but I don't want my prayers to be a selfish list for my own life and mm-hmm. comfort, right? You know, the the church in Acts was passionate about the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. They were passionate about the gospel reaching, right. you know, all peoples and cultures and you think about what ripped Paul's heart out was his lost Jewish brethren Mm -hmm. and lost Gentiles and just all the places he he couldn't get to so I it it's when we feel the need you know either in our own life and it's perfectly appropriate to pray you know for you know for our needs for our daily bread but also just this passion, you yeah. know, for, for the lost. I was in a group, visiting a group this week, Darren and Allie, or Darren Pearson and Allie Matina's group, and I loved how he led out, kind of casting some vision at the prayer time. He said, hey, before we share the, the things that we're wrestling with, let's take a, some time and think about other people who are in need. So every week they're going to bring up another need or issue that's happening in the world to pray for mm-hmm. that, and they just spent time praying for those who are on the streets, homeless right now. And I love that aspect of like, hey, we're going to pray for other people together. Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of the reasons um, the church was so explosively contagious because we think about these four functions. It's Mm -hmm. interesting. It wasn't just a holy huddle. I mean, Mm -hmm. this church spread, Mm -hmm. you know, persecution first started spreading them. But people in cities flock yeah. to the church. Yeah. Why? Because these things were happening, because they were getting teaching direction from It was a compelling community. Yeah. It was a compelling community. It was attractive. Here was some place where I was part of a community. I was validated, you know, valued. I mean, how could there be more value than God yeah. sending his son to die for me and accepting me into mm-hmm. his family? And then the care and yeah. the needs. So there was no needy other. among them. And these yes. were people in poverty who were meeting each other's needs and... Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's probably true in my group mm-hmm. or in this church. There's plenty of, of needy people, so we've got work to do. Yeah, yeah. So always room for improvement, but I am always encouraged by the stories of people who come to Northridge and see that God is in this place. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, they are moved by the community we are and the focus mm-hmm. upward uh, that we have. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, hey, great talking about that. I know we kicked this thing off with Halloween. Let's conclude with um, 
happy Reformation Day. Let's redeem yes. the day. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'd rather, it's a very good thing to celebrate today, uh, which was, again, the Reformation was a return to that Acts church, to yeah. what we're going to look at. Definitely what the a big Bible. emphasis on the apostles' teaching was part of the Reformation. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's get back to the Bible and the way they did it, which is always our mantra, even in the 21st century at Northridge yeah. Church. We're learning from the culture, sure, but what? Are we drifting away from what do we need to get back to? So anyway, looking forward to the rest of the series. Four weeks down, four weeks to go. Please join us next week for more Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Church. Acts of the Church. You should keep the camera rolling right through this. Acts of the Church. Acts of of the Church. Sorry.